So welcome back to all my loyal and disloyal listeners. <laughs> I am in the process of getting to know myself better. Oh, wait a second. No, that's you by listening to my podcast. Role reversal. Uh, let's switch it. So I know that at this time in any of my relationships, people start wondering things about me. And they start asking questions and they start watching me a little bit closer and try to figure out why I do what I do. I always have reasons for what I do. My brother says, just ask Mandy and she'll tell you. Okay, but you guys can't jump on my podcast. We haven't done them live yet. And we don't have the call-ins like in the olden days. And so... We are going to get the Facebook and Instagram pages up and running um, under Common Sense Therapy, and you guys are welcome to ask your questions, and I will work on answering them so that you can get to know me a little bit better and get to understand where I'm coming from, my reasoning behind things, and get a little bit more personal interaction with me because sometimes what I say, I say as a general umbrella to the topic and some people need a little bit of tweaking to make it individualized. So that should be coming up. My daughter says Facebook for the old fogies and Instagram for the people in the know. And I would take offense to that if I wasn't alive before cell phones and MySpace. So I would consider myself an old, old fogey and don't really do Instagram. So you old fogies along with me will do Facebook and then the young upstarts can do Instagram. I look forward to hearing from you. Today we're going to talk about choices. How to make choices, what kinds of choices to make, what the heck you're doing, and how to figure out how to do it different. So there are two types of choices that we make in life, except for the third type. Now, when I say that, and people are like, that's just dumb, Mandy. I know, but bear with me, because it makes sense in just a minute, okay? So the first thing I do is I start by asking, what is the definition of faith? Now, faith, I am not talking about the religious concept of faith. I am talking about just the generalized notion of faith. So the generalized notion of faith, the definition is moving forward, trusting that it will be okay. All right. So what's the opposite of faith? Well, if faith is moving forward, trusting that it will be okay, then the opposite is going to be that which does not allow us to move forward, does not allow us to trust that anything is going to be okay, kind of leaves us stuck and paralyzed in fear. And there's the answer. Fear is the opposite of faith because fear does not allow us to move forward. It makes us stuck, paralyzed, panicked, anxiety riddled, Take your pick of which word you want to use, but it does not allow you to move forward. So we have faith-based decisions and fear-based decisions. And there are no other decisions except the third one. We'll get to that. So what's an example of a faith-based decision? And what's an example of a fear-based decision? Well, when I was starting school, uh, college. I heard about music therapy for the first time 
and it wasn't taught at very many colleges in the nation. So that I didn't have a whole lot to pick from, and I wanted the best program that I could find for me. And I ended up thinking that Oklahoma was a good place for that. So I had everything set up to go to Oklahoma. Now, people would ask me, do you know people there? Have you ever been to Oklahoma? And no, and no. The only thing I knew was that Southwestern Oklahoma State University, oh, there's my plug, was in the top 5% of schools that gave the music therapy degree. So I was going there specifically for that purpose. Now, I was moving forward, trusting that it would be okay. I did not have all of the information. I could not predict the future. There was no fortune teller telling me that this would work out and that it would work out in my favor. So I could have very easily said, I don't want to do this because I don't know what's going on. I want to go where I know what's happening. I know people. I have a really good support system of people around me and I can have them help me when I don't know what I'm doing. And all of a sudden I'm stuck back home, not moving forward in my degree. That's a fear-based choice. Do you understand why? It's so important to look at what you're doing and what is moving you forward or what is holding you back. If I was afraid of going to a place that I had never gone before because I didn't know anyone and I didn't know anything, then I wouldn't have moved forward in it. Now, having gone to Oklahoma, that is actually what moved me towards working and living in Chicago. I would not have gone there if I had stayed home. And I would have looked for an internship, a practicum in another place more local. I would not have wanted to leave my home state. I would not have wanted to leave my family. I would have wanted to stay there where it was what I was going to call safe. No, I went out. Now, I have told my girls many, many times that here's the thing. You need to take a road trip every once in a while. You just need to get in the car and you need to drive to another state because you need to see that driving over state lines is not the end of the world. They are imaginary lines that do not hold you back. When I was living in Oklahoma, I traveled all over the United States. Every time I got an opportunity to go someplace, I went. Every time I was told, there's a conference here, or we need you to accompany a person here, I said, sweet, sign me up. I had all these different interesting experiences based off of faith-based choices. Because faith-based choices, even though fear is where we're supposed to be scared and terrified, faith-based choices are the scarier choices because we can't predict them. We don't know what's going on. We don't know where they're going to lead us. We've talked about this a little bit before. I told you about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and where I said, you know, he had to take the leap of faith from the lion's mouth, right? And he didn't know what he was leaping into. That's why it's scary. It's not scary to stay where you're at and do nothing. That's not scary. That's comfortable. And lots of people do it. But that is a choice based in fear. 
because you are afraid to move forward in your life. You are afraid to make the necessary adjustments and realignments and reconfigurations in order to become the person that you want to be. So <clears throat> we have faith-based, fear-based choices. All right, what's our third option? So when I was pregnant, I could not eat. I It was nine months of me not just throwing up, but it was also me starving on top of that. I couldn't even drink water without throwing it up. There was nothing I could keep down for any amount of time. So it was nine months of me not being able to indulge in anything. I was in extremely restricted. My doctor even told me that if I had a a hankering for something that that meant my body would take it a craving and so to try and eat that because my body was craving it yeah not with me I would crave it I would make my husband go buy it I would eat it I would throw it up that was our system it was a great system did it twice for nine months so 18 months out of my entire life yeah I know in the grand scheme of things not that much however quite a restrictive 18 months if you look at it. All right. So the second that my child was born, both times, I could start eating. And that food never tasted so good. Oh my goodness. And it was hospital food. So you guys know it wasn't that great, but it was the first real food I had eaten in nine months. I was in heaven. Now, the first time After we got home from the hospital with my oldest daughter, my body started craving, craved sugar and salad. Now, the best source of sugar I thought was cotton candy. It was easier than just eating spoonfuls of sugar. I am not Mary Poppins. It does not make the medicine go down. So I would go to the store and buy lots of cotton candy and eat lots of salads. Now, I was trying to implement other things into my diet. I wanted, you know, proteins and dairies and all this kind of stuff. But sugar and salad, that is what my body wanted. And it wanted it bad. And so... I gave it sugar and salad for about six months. Once my body got its fill of sugar and salad, it calmed down and it started being uh, regulating better. But this is where I discovered the third type of choice making. It's called restrictive decision making. It means that if you have been restricted in something, The second you are able to make your choices and determine what you want, you want that. You want what you were not allowed. You are tired of being told no. And you don't care anymore. You're going to do what you're going to do. So restrictive decision making. It can be good. It can be bad. It can go both fear or faith-based. You have to look at why you're making restrictive decisions and what restrictive decisions you're making. You know, giving my body salad, not the worst thing in the world. Overindulging in all that kind of sugar, probably not so healthy, but you know, when you haven't had it for nine months, 
maybe not the worst thing. I wasn't just eating sugars, so I was trying to balance it out. So again, not the worst thing, but you get a lot of people in trauma situations where they finally get out of the trauma and they want to start buying stuff. This is where you see ridiculous spending sprees and they're like, I'm buying all of this frivolous nothing stuff and I will never tell a client, stop it. Because that's more restriction. The second you say, nope, 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 don't do that. They're like, but that's why I'm doing it. Yeah, I know. And so I will go and I will say, all right, go ahead, do it. There was uh, one couple that I was working with and uh, he was starting to see things healthier. And so he was doing some of this restrictive buy decision-making and, and buying stuff that he, he would drop like $300 here and $500 here. And, and he says, is this a bad thing? And I said, well, it isn't a bad thing as long as you don't exclude your wife from it. So maybe give her the same amount that you're spending so that she's part of this, so that you're not just over here being selfish. That also kind of keeps you in check because you don't really want to hand over $10,000 of mad money to your wife and say, good luck, may the force be with you. You just, you want to kind of know where it's going, right? And so that's a really good way of keeping yourself in check is by externalizing those restrictive choices including somebody else in them. Because when we look at somebody else buying something frivolous, we go, oh, you know what? That's a little frivolous. I don't think I'd buy that. Yes, but you just did. Oh, okay. So that's just a, a healthy way to kind of keep it from going way overboard. Now, why do I say restrictive decision-making is actually a good thing and I don't try to stop it? Because just with exactly like with the sugar and salad, my body was trying to equalize itself. It was trying to stabilize and find its center. It had been living in extreme for so long that that's all it knew. So it was swinging to the other extreme and it was eventually going to work its way into a stable middle section. Now, how is this important? Why is it important to allow somebody who has been traumatized to be allowed to kind of go off the deep end per se, the way that society thinks and just be frivolous and put themselves first and not really care? The answer to that question lies in a couple of areas. So first of all, I know that a few podcasts back, I said we were going to get into balance, what balance is, and how to achieve balance. And uh, as you can see, there are these steps that have to be taken before you can get into these big, huge concepts. Uh, you have to start small. If you're standing at the bottom of the stairs and I ask you to jump to the top of the stairs, you'll just fall and trip down da, 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 and fail. If I ask you to take one step at a time, you'll get up to the top with me. It isn't that I have forgotten about the balance topic. It's that I'm getting you to the point where you can start looking at it and doing it, okay? So part of that is you need to prioritize yourself. People do not like to do that. 
We've talked about putting your oxygen mask on first. We've talked about needing to fill your reservoir first. And whenever you say that, people go, oh yeah, I know, that makes sense. And, and I understand that. And then they don't do anything to prioritize themselves. So this is learning how to prioritize yourself because when you have been in a traumatic situation or in an abusive situation or even in a toxic dysfunctional situation, you are not the priority. Everybody else is. My abusive situation that I grew up in was not so horrible that anybody even knew that it was abusive. I still was never the priority in the situation. Uh, here's kind of an example. I was the only girl, am the only girl. Uh, I had all brothers. And so everybody would come and, oh, are you the princess? No, I was not the princess. I have never been the princess. And we, my parents felt that any kind of sharing rooms with a boy and a girl was very inappropriate. And so I was not allowed to share these spaces with my brothers. We went to a hotel once. We were going to be uh, camping and we got rained out. And so my parents got a hotel for us and got two beds and my parents got one bed and my brothers got the other bed and I got to sleep on the floor because a girl does not share a bed with a boy. <laughs> now, these were my brothers and at home, especially at Christmas, they'd climb into bed with me all the time. But when my parents were around, that's inappropriate. So do you see what I'm saying? I was not the priority there. It didn't matter that I was the smallest one, the skinniest one. My bones hurt on the hardwood floor. Didn't matter that I could have shared the bed. No, it was what was appropriate, not who the priority was. So you see, what I'm saying is that it's really easy to not be prioritized, even though you think that that's what's happening because, you know, it's my parents said, you know, you, you're the girl and so you need to sleep on the floor because, you know, you don't share a bed with these boys. That's not what girls do. And in my young mind, I thought, oh, that's so great that they're looking out for me. <laughs> In my older mind, I'm like, oh, so I was never the priority. How nice for me, okay? Do you understand how sneaky that can get? Okay, so that's one part of it is we don't prioritize ourselves. And when we're in these situations, we need to. We need to put ourselves as the priority or we're not gonna get through it. And if we can't get through it, we can't get anybody else through it either. I have a, a sweet, sweet guy who loves his brother to death and his brother is still stuck in a really bad situation and he's trying to pull his brother out and I had to stop him and say, you're not taking care of yourself. You can't pull your brother out until you take care of yourself. Then you can come back and pull your brother out. You can't pull your brother out first when you've got nothing to give. So we have to learn how to prioritize ourselves. And when we come from these really difficult situations, we don't do that. And we weren't taught to do that.
Okay, so there's the first one. That's the first lesson that needs to be learned here in this restrictive decision-making and why I don't stop people from learning how to prioritize themselves. All right, the second one, I am a weird World War II buff. All my clients know this about me. I just started reading stories about people that either had it as bad that I, as I had it or worse than I had it. And it just turned out that it was a lot of World War II stories. That happens to be a really bad time in history where you can learn a lot uh, from people and them being strong and having to deal with horrific situations and making it through it. So I'm this really weird World War II buff. All right. There was a group of women that had been liberated from one of the concentration camps. And when people were liberated from the concentration camps, they they didn't have any place to put all of these people. And so they just cleaned up the camps and made them into what were called displaced persons camps or DP camps. So these women were still in this DP camp. Now they were being given food and medical care and, you know, being taken care of. They weren't being tortured and, and killed and worked to death, but they were still dying in droves and they couldn't figure out why. Um, so they had asked the world to send supplies because they didn't have anything. And they got this shipment of clothes from the UK. And they set it up and they told the women, look, pick whatever you want. This is like shopping for you. You can pick anything and everything you want. And they went through and the women started dressing like human beings and they stopped dying. Just that bit of giving them their humanity back was what it took for them to be able to actually survive and live and move forward in their lives. When you are in a trauma or an abusive situation, your humanity, your individuality, your person, yourself, all of that is being removed from you. You are becoming objectified. You are not a person to any of these people. Uh, you can even look at it with the pandemic. Nobody talked about the people that were dying. Everybody was talking about COVID. COVID's killing, COVID's doing this, COVID's doing this, COVID's doing this. What about the people with COVID? What about these people over here and how they're fighting COVID or how they're getting through COVID? Or, you know, you see what I'm saying? They take away your humanity. And once they can take away your humanity, what do you have to live for? It's really hard to find some purpose when Everyone's looking at you like a non-person. So in this restrictive decision-making, it is people emerging as people, trying to get their humanity back, trying to like pretty things and fun things and good things. We cannot build a life in paying bills and doing chores and putting other people first. It sounds altruistic, but it isn't attainable. What it is, is it's what keeps us down. 
if you look at third world countries, if you look at places where people don't have a say, the whole problem is their individuality and their humanity is not allowed to show forward. And that is what keeps them from rising up and becoming the great people that they are. So this is why I don't stop when people need to get their humanity back. And that's what restrictive decision-making actually is. Now, it crosses the line really easily if you don't know that's what you're doing and you're not paying attention to when it's done. (laughs) You need to pay attention. If it just starts getting into a way to hide or a way to try and feel better about yourself, then you need to stop and go someplace else and do something else because one extreme is just as unhealthy as the other extreme. So you need to keep it in balance. You need to keep it smart and you need to understand when you've crossed the line and say, okay, need to pull back. I have managed. I could not live the next 30 years just eating sugar and salad. That isn't going to work. So as soon as it achieved what it needed to achieve and I stabilized, I stopped. So that's what you need to look at. You have faith-based choices, fear-based choices, and restrictive decision-making. Those are the three types of choices that we make. And you need to look at what you're making, why you're making, and how it's affecting you. If you need to stop and change, then do it.